Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. Today's Rough Drafts is the first of its kind. It's not just me and one weirdo, it's me and one, two, three, four, five weirdos. Uh, Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be not just uh, a God story of sometime in the past. It's going to be a God story from about 12 days ending last week. It's uh, some time with some of my friends who went with me to Honduras. Let's go around the table and uh, say who's there. So, All right, Marshall Fuson. Tyler Quinn. Bethany Quinn. Hannah Gossett. And Preston Harding. You guys couldn't have done that anymore (laughs) trying to act like you were a prison detail being interviewed. <laughs> this feels like the office right now. <laughs> so every single one of you feel incredibly awkward about doing this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the, the kind words of encouragement. But but the reason we're doing this is um, you learn lessons when you're doing different types of mission work that you just don't get anywhere else. And I wanted us to strike while the iron's hot and tell some of those stories. So I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, but I just kind of like to hear from you. What's what's actually Tyler? Start by just saying a little bit about what we did, where we went, that that the high level view, so people know what we're talking about. Okay, uh, we went to Honduras. Uh, we and we started in Tegucigalpa, went to Santa Ana, um, and we built some houses. Built three houses, or no, we built twelve houses in all with the group that we were with. We visited uh, autism center. We visited special needs orphanage another orphanage. We handed out food bags, prepared food buckets. We built a um, soccer court that had a couple walls, goals and stuff on the campus we were staying at so they can bring in uh, young men. We supported the R1T1, Reach One, Teach One mission, uh, painting, um, starting a fire and burning their wood scraps. Bryson and I, great day. Um, uh, Purpose. On purpose. Without a lighter. Uh, we grinded a rock. Yes, we did. It didn't work. We ended up using a lighter. <laughs> yeah. So you're not supposed we, to tell them that. Well, the lighter wasn't. They didn't have no fuel. While I lit almost their tool room on fire with WD-40. You <laughs> said, <laughs> but you know that was fun. Uh, and we we just did a whole lot of whatever they needed around. And our group uh, was great through all of it. So Tyler, you've done these mission trips before. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Second time here, and then. Uh, seventh or eighth, um, mostly medical and VBS and the other places. Uh, and this is just construction and everything else, which is really nice. It's really a good blend of any kind of mission trip you could want. And Bethany, you've done several of these. Yeah. So my love for mission trips really came about in 2013. Um, I was fresh out of high school. I went with a church local, but then out of Chattanooga. Um, it's actually where Tyler and I met and then got engaged a few years later. Um, and that really was the trajectory, like that sparked the trajectory for my life because on that mission trip, it sparked my love of the language, um, of the people and knowing that I did not want that to be my last one. Um, and I was wondering how can I 
keep doing this. And that's where, you know, getting a Spanish major came into play and then being a teacher where I could do good here, but then also have the summers available to do as many as needed. Right. So if I, I think um, 2019, I went to Panama twice. So I went once with Tyler's home church and then once with my church at the time. And so that opportunity wouldn't have been available had I been in a normal nine to five job. Um, and so Span- that that mission trip sparked my love of Spanish and helping and really where I am today, because without it, you know, Tyler and I would not be together. We would not have Titus and I probably wouldn't be a Spanish teacher. So um, to say that mission is a passion of mine is is understated, probably. So what you're saying is be careful with this mission stuff. You never know what it's going to do. Yes. <laughs> like it literally changed my life. Like for the good and um that's one reason why i'm so passionate about it because i want people to come i want you know bryson and taylor and my siblings to go and do these things because i think that you never know where it's going to lead you when you open your heart up to god and this is just one of those things that it's scary um you don't know what it's going to be like you hear all of the horror stories of central america and the things that come out of the news and you have to genuinely let go and let god and that's hard so you been on 23,000 of these things, between the two of you. This is number for you, Anna. Uh, this is our second trip, both to Honduras. Okay, you and Bryson both made both of those trips. Yes. And Marshall? First. First. So, man, we got kind of a gamut here, you know. How many for you, Zeus? Out of country. Um, I This was my third out of country and a bunch of DRT or Appalachia uh, in the States. Uh, so, Got a, a hot mess of a mix of different things we've done. Um, what's your takeaway? What'd you learn? With? Where do you want to go with this? This is your conversation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can start. Uh, I I prepped a little bit with Bethany in the car over here, talking about uh, like things that I saw. Um, I really, I was talk, I was thinking about two like specific people or where I kind of saw God and just. Because, you know, I've been on a lot of these. I don't want to say I'm, like, desensitized to, like, what is down there. But I've I've kind of, I've seen, like, that environment before and, like, really seeing people in that environment that come from here. I haven't been on a mission trip before. People, like, in our group, like, what they, how they act is really interesting to me and really, like, how are you going to behave? Because it, it changes you big, big time. Like, I mean... I, we were, I know I was a different person on the first mission trip I went on, not for the best. Uh, and now over the years, it's kind of, I've gotten in a place where I just feel really comfortable down there. And I really know like what I'm doing, but like watching other people, like there's this kid, I'm going to say names, uh, Jet, who we built a house with. Uh, and then after the day was over, I think it was either our second or third in a row. Uh, I was just wandering around aimlessly around the campus because I was just like, don't want to take a shower, but I really want to take a shower, but it's full because everyone was going to take a shower. And I just saw him, I himself, with two of the Honduran workers uh, building the wall for the soccer court after he had just built a house, probably the second day in a row, and he's down there helping them. So I looked at him like, nope, turn around. Like I am, I am not going to help because I am tired. And then I got three steps into that and I said, no, I'm going to go help. And uh, just seeing his willingness, and he was down there a few minutes before me, because when I got down there, they were quitting at four, and it was 3.57, so we played soccer instead uh, and of be helping. But he was down there helping before me after they built the house, and just seeing that, like, commitment, and, you know, he, he didn't he didn't know I was paying attention or anything. He was just doing it because he wanted to help. 
So Marshall, this was your first trip. Yeah. Yes. What, what caught your attention? What you notice? Um, it transformed. I said that's in church this morning, but it's a, it's a transformative experience. Um, it's, um, it's a place where you don't have the safety net of all that America is. You don't have the protection here. You don't have the safety here. You don't have your resources here. Um, you have God and you have about 12 other people that you know, and you have to trust not that we don't trust God in our, in our everyday life, but I feel like as Americans in general, we don't, there's not a point where we are struggling so bad that, or at least most of us, that we have to 100% rely on God. He tells us that he will never leave us, but do we ever, do we ever have to reach out and grab that? So, you know, there it's, you know, everybody, when I left, everybody says, oh, like all the people at my work were like, oh, don't get shot and don't get kidnapped and uh, take a knife with you and all, you know, so you're getting all this stuff. You get all this anxiety getting there. I didn't even sleep good the first night. Like it was all this anxiety. But almost the second that I got there and I was all guarded, it's almost like this, it's hard to explain, but it's like a peaceful feeling came over you. Like I never felt in danger. I never felt afraid. I never felt any of that. Um, and you feel like this, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird feeling, but it's, you feel God. I, I guess that's what it is. You feel, you feel like at ease because God's got you, you know, even in some really bad situations we were in. Well, not really bad. Let me back up. Not really bad. Uh, halfway bad. We, we got lost in the city and, you know, uh, somebody's bleeding from their head. You know, I'm really paraphrasing here. Uh, we were stuck across from a bar and, you know, all those things, even at that moment, I felt at peace um, and more at peace than places I've been here in America. Um, so it was really neat to feel God's, uh, what's the right word? Uh, Presence. Yes. There you go. I do feel like that's been similar to our experiences. Like we've gotten to some sketchy stuff with uh, the revolts in Nicaragua, but I not really for once I've thought that was kind of cool. Uh, which maybe not be the right thing to say, but I felt like safe. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a paradigm shift um, that you have to go in and even being, you know, out of the country doing this every year, like you still those voices of those people telling you, oh, don't get shot. It's dangerous. It's, you know, while you say, oh, I don't believe that, you know, there's just something about it sometimes that makes you nervous. Um, we have an 18 month old and leaving him was very difficult and knowing that this is a different trip because Last time we went out of the country before COVID, we didn't have a kid. And so now I'm responsible for somebody that's not here. And so it really was stressful in that situation. And I had this mentality that everybody was out to get something. And, you know, if we did something or, you know, if something happened, you know, it's just that's what they do. Um, And I think there was a paradigm shift after like day one or two where Tim was giving the, the police officers like we were giving out food at those um, in one of the neighborhoods and he was giving out food to the police officers because the police officers had stopped us and were asking us questions and I remember thinking oh they're just bribing us like they're just corrupt government and you know that's not necessarily the case Um, and so he gets back on and they're talking about it and he says you know no it wasn't really a bribe I mean 
it helps to have the law enforcement on your side, but they have family too, just like the people that we're about to see. And so he didn't do it because he was they were he was bribing them or they would have told us no. Like he was just doing it. And I think for me realizing that, you know, you're just doing it out of the goodness of your heart, not because you feel like you have to. Um, and knowing that they're not all bad. Like I don't know why I got that in my mind, but that paradigm shift was very important. I think one of the coolest things going to Honduras is it doesn't stop at the law enforcement. Uh, multiple times, even last year, Tim and Cisco have told us that this mountain we're going up to hand out food bags, to build houses, it's ran by MS-13, like a, a terrifying gang. And they, they, they say to you, they're not going to mess with you because you're building a house for their grandparents, for their sister, for their brother. I mean, they're not going to mess with you because they know you're here to help them, which is really cool. And that's something about Tim and Torch in and of itself, um, because Torch was going to have to do a lot to win over my approval. Because, again, with doing this with a church out of Chattanooga, I mean, I was loyal and I'm still loyal to them, you know, but I was very like, this isn't going to be as good. You know, this. No, there's no way that anybody could beat this church. Um, But I was so pleasantly surprised at Tim and how. If he saw a need that arose, we would go do it. So we did a Gatorade run, run, and that just to anybody, not to anybody, in the, not to just members of the church, not telling them, "Hey, come visit so and so church." It was just a, "Hey, you look hot, you look thirsty. Here's some Gatorade," and that in and of itself, I think, was really, um, you know, eye opening because, again, I had this mentality that they all just want stuff and they want the free stuff and they want this and that. And Tim didn't let that bother him. Like Torch, if somebody was waiting to build a house, there was one lady who had the application and she was she was there at like 8 a.m. in our house field asking for Dalton, being like, I have the application. I have the papers, please. You know, and, and I went and told Dalton. He was like, I can't help her right now, but if she'll wait, I will talk to her after. And sure enough, after this long build day, she is still waiting and she asked them to come see the property and he goes up there with the interns to the property like after working all day in the sun with three different groups like they are truly there to make a difference and we're there to help kind of plant those seeds so hannah what's the story of how you got suckered into this world this is tricky <laughs> is this bethany's fault what's the story no honestly this trip kind of fell into our lap last year and it was for me, it was very unexpected. Um, I'd always wanted to get into like mission trip work, but I didn't really know where to start or where to go to do that. And then we're just sitting at Martha's one day talking and Tyler's like, hey, we're going on a mission trip to Honduras with my old church. Do y'all want to go? And we're like, I mean, what week is it? When is it going to be? You know, all the questions that you ask when something new comes up. Um, and sure enough, like date by date, it worked out. It was right after school. Um, it was right after tennis ended, like there were zero conflicts when so much of it could have conflicted with each other, but God just literally laid it all out perfectly and was like, you're going to make this work. Like this is going to be something that changes your life. And it was, and now it's something that we plan for every year because we know it's something that we'll go back and do. So let me ask a follow-up question because you said something that almost everybody has said, this is something that changes your life. Mm-hmm. In what way does it change your life? It just, for me, it changed my mindset, which of course changed my heart. But 
I very much went into it like everybody does. Like, I cannot wait to make a difference in everybody. Like, I can't wait to change their lives and do these big things there. And I can't wait to see how they change when I leave. And after, you know, like day three of my first mission trip, I'm in tears because we're leaving an orphanage. And we just heard a story about a mother that had to pick two of her four children to leave because she couldn't feed everybody. But I didn't leave there thinking, wow, we just helped those kids so much. I'm leaving thinking, wow, I can't believe they have so much joy with so little. And I have everything back home and can't find the joy in a bad day. Which was just very like, the guilt was really hard last year when we came back. Um, Just trying to like readapt into such a privileged society. And I use that word a lot now. Um, We are very privileged here and I will say it and I'm very privileged. That's just how it is. Um, But I think we take that for granted sometimes. And this trip, both trips have really just made me like, take a step back and appreciate everything that I have. Those are some good lessons. They live, they live so simple and they are so resourceful with the little bit that they have is crazy impressive. Um, and it is, like you said, it is, it blew me away how thankful they were. I ended up like rationing off my lunch cause I, it would blew me away just how impactful giving them a cliff bar. And they would like split it up in like eights for their whole family. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. And like, just, I ended up getting like figuring out the smallest amount I could eat for lunch so that I could hand it out to people. Cause they, it was that impactful, just like a cracker. And they were just like, this is the best thing ever. Like just blew me away at how, how thankful they were for what we would just, you know, not even think anything about. And even more on that. I never had a kid come up to me and ask me for anything. They would stand there and they may glance over at me. Like at the church, I was handing out airheads to every kid that I could find, but I didn't have a single one come up and ask or take one. They would wait for me to offer it and then they would take one and they would walk away. And I'd be like, well, you can have more. They would take one more. And so I had to give them a number that they could take because they wouldn't take more than what they needed so that their neighbor could also get some too, which was another lesson that I kind of took back with me when we got here was we're so quick to take as much as we can without thinking about the next person that has to come through. Where every single person that I've ever met in Honduras takes exactly what they need, the bare minimum that they can get by with so that the next person has enough as well. So the orphanage we visited, uh, a couple of you looked in the the pantry when we delivered supplies. and in the kitchen for this orphanage were two containers, one for rice and one for beans. And in the kitchen, they had, what, four cups of rice and six cups of beans? For what, 25 people? And that was that was what they had. So, you know, we came in uh, one day and we brought uh, we bought from the Hungarian version of Costco uh, rotisserie chickens and we, we split them in legs and thighs and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. We did that in the States. We would have people saying, well, I want the white meat. No, I want the dark meat. No, that piece is too big. That piece is too small. I want a blue airhead. I want a green airhead. Ooh, the white airheads are gross. Um, it was just, <laughs> thank you. And I, you use that word, Hannah, privilege. Um, I like the word spoiled. Uh, that might be a little bit too negative, but I think 
for me personally, I am spoiled. And I don't like to say I'm blessed. I mean, I, I believe that every good and perfect gift comes from above. I am blessed, but I'm spoiled more than I am blessed. When, when you see a, like an image, it's kind of burned in my mind, but at a house bill we were building, I looked over across the way and there was a girl slightly older than my daughter, probably eight, and she was washing her entire family's laundry on a rock out of a rain barrel with a bowl. And um, those kind of things, you bring those things back with you and just like throwing your laundry in the washing machine. You're like, thank you, God. I just, you know, it's just crazy. And, you know, I will say this for everybody. I've traveled a lot of places internationally and, and some like Dominican Republic and some really poor areas. And I've seen those things. But you see those from a bus till you go into your fancy resort, right? So if you think you've been exposed to it and you haven't done a mission trip, I guess the thing about it is, is that when you do a mission trip, it you're in it and you're not just looking at it from afar. And so even though I had seen some poverty from afar, helping and being in that that's what changes you. Um, you might slightly see it just traveling a place, but I highly, highly, highly encourage anybody that hasn't done it before, absolutely do it. It's funny. I, I wish I wish we could take everybody in the church just because that, that dose of perspective. Um, you know, I took a picture on the flight on the way out, on the way back home, because I looked out the window of the airplane and from the runway, I could see kids washing clothes on a stone washing thing. Like, you don't see that at B&A. I can't get my kids to use the washing machine where all they have to do is put on a scoop of detergent, hit start, <laughs> you know? And here's a kid that's our kid's age, you know, uh, it just it kind of, again, privileged. I think that's one reason why they like getting the stories of the houses we're building so I asked Dalton, the construction coordinator person over all of the construction of the houses, I, I kind of asked him, you know, how do you all decide who gets a house? Because that was something that I didn't really understand. You know, how, how do you find the people? Where do they come from? Um, and he gave me a little bit of information. Um, and he's like, they're, they're truly vetted. He said, not only do we ask their stories and things, but then we go into the neighborhood and we ask their neighbors, you know, how are they? What are they like? And so the people that we're building houses for are people who truly um, through the the community itself have said, hey, we need help. Um, and so getting to talk with them, it was really interesting because you didn't need a lot. Like you said, you know, they just needed a little extra help. And so for several of them, for two of the, of the houses that we built, they were uh, paying a thousand limps a month, which was $40 when, you know, a quarter of the population of Honduras lives on $2 a day or less than and about half lives on $6 a day, that adds up. Um, and so it was a thousand limps a month. And this house that we were building wasn't going to cost them anything, um, but it allowed them to get that leg up that they needed. So that $40 now could be spent, um, you know, on expanding one of the houses, the very first house we did, it was an older or a man, his wife, their two kids, but then he, she was pregnant with another one. Um, and they were living in a house that wasn't much bigger than what they were in, what we made them. 
um, but it had a small kitchen and a small bedroom and then a living room. And we gave them a 16 by 16 foot house. And, and I was so confused. I was like, why? Um, you know, you're going to something smaller. And he was like, well, it's a thousand limps a month, which can now be used to me expanding out and building more and doing more there, getting ready for my kid, my third kid to be there. Um, another one was a single mom who was living with her grandfather and several aunts and uncles also lived there. And she had two kids. Um, she was 27. I think her oldest was 12 or 13, fixing to be 13. And she was like, right now I only have to pay for the lights, but like that's expensive. Electricity is very expensive there. And so she was talking about how much it would cost to run the, the lights to the house. And it was going to be like 3,500 um, limps or something. So about $120. And she was just excited to have something that was hers. Like that's what she said. She was like, this is something that I have wanted that it's now mine and I own it. And, you know, I'm going to take care of it. Um, and then another house similar concept where it was an older man and he was paying a thousand limps a month and he was so thankful like they didn't think that it was going to happen they they were like we have been doing this for five years been trying to get a house for five years and we haven't been able to but we sell stuff to make tortillas on the side of the like outside of our house which isn't in the city and now they're on a busier road and so that leg up that one day of house building allowed them to further and continue on with the work that they're doing to help them. And like I said, it was just that one little leg up that I think they were wanting, you know. And I was going to say that the there was a group from Kentucky with us, and they had probably one of the saddest stories. The house they built, it was for a mom and two children who were living under a tarp. Um, and we're talking about a 16 by 16 foot, like what we would consider a garden shed um with a tin roof and these people were so thankful for this they were literally crying when we gave it to them like if that's some perspective they didn't have to be members of the church either um they were just like good citizens of the community just helping anyone out which i really like too what's the scripture say it says let's do good to all as we have opportunity especially those of the household of faith but let's do good to all yeah and that was pretty cool and maybe they will become a member of right. the church after this yeah, those houses stand a long time as a marker, too. I think Frank said um, that he'd seen houses from like 30 years ago that were still standing. Um, and so that just goes to show, you know, how no much one that we worked on. Uh, definitely not. Because <laughs> some of us are a little building challenge. And I tried to kill <laughs> Hannah, you know. It's all good. You should have seen Caleb Scott uh, on top of the roof. And, uh, you know, the only power tool we had was a chainsaw. So the chainsaw was our... Our chop saw, our miter saw, our trim work, our, I mean, it it was, you know, if the only thing you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, so. Bethany won't let me use a chainsaw in the United States, but mm -hmm. in Honduras, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> that didn't make a lot of sense. The trauma centers are a lot better here. <laughs> you should really swap that up. Let it use it where you get the benefit. Bryson, so tell me, tell me a little bit about um, just your takeaways, what, how you saw God, what you've learned, how this affects you. Oh, goodness. Uh, one thing from being, uh, from coming two years, last year we had 20, 20 people all together once the second group arrived through three or so days after us. When I, when I figured out that there was going to be 80 to 90 people there, I became so selfish that, oh, my experience in Honduras is not going to be 
as good as it was and as personal as it was the year before when there was only 20 of us. But then I, as I reflected on the way back and, you know, throughout the week, last year we built three houses with us 20. This year we bought, we built 12 houses for 12 families to, you know, have the leg up like you're saying. I mean, it just, it made me so happy that 80 to 90 people would take the vacation days and build a house for 12 families. And that's, that's where I saw God, that, that, that crazy shift in my brain that just really showed me how amazing the work that all these people are doing is. You know, it's funny. It's, it's easy to still be selfish while you're on a mission trip because there's a line for the food and the bus was on top of Absolutely. And, you know, it would have made my heart happy if there were about 30 fewer people. Uh, that's just true wherever I am. You know, but, uh, and even if there's only 25 in the room, it's, it's still true. Uh, but one of the things that I enjoyed about this group and this this experience was how often it it was able to kind of offer the gentle... Nobody came to you and said, Bryson, watch your attitude. Absolutely. But the... the uh, environment kind of it gave me those checks too when I was thinking and feeling the same things. Thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, when we're all packed, thirty-five people in a fifteen-passenger <laughs> bus. Um, that'll just little things like that'll make you appreciate my real comfortable car that I have every day. You know, we were just lucky to have a bus to get us where we're going, um, and uh, we got real comfortable with. Um, People we hardly knew in that, you know. You were worried about cartels going. You should have been worried about traffic accidents. That was the most danger we had <laughs> the entire trip. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure at one point Hannah was in my lap and Matthew was dying of allergies holding flowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone bought several bouquets of flowers at the market to give to the cooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the cooks for a second. Uh, for one, the food was obscenely good mm-hmm. uh, everywhere we went. But one thing I that... I appreciated a lot about Torch was at every opportunity they hired locals and allowed us to bless them. So at the center, we had three ladies who ran the kitchen who were amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we had bus drivers who were with us the whole time who were our safety net because we always had them and they could always help us. If we had a problem, uh, they were there. There was a lady, sweet lady who did the laundry and she charged $5 a load, and some portion of that went to electricity, because like you said, it's so expensive there. Uh, but that's her job. Um, then that, the each one, reach one program. Detroit, yeah, reach one, teach one. Shoot. Good try. I, I keep getting it Good try. Uh, Snack Shack. I'm making up names for these things. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the program and then talk about how that can Snack Shack. Uh, yeah, the reach one, teach one, Dalton started, I guess, four years back, right? Bryson's wearing a t-shirt. We should make him do this. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Is that the invitation? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so Dalton, Tim's son, started a program for Honduran boys. I don't know what the specific age range is, but it's for boys to learn how to provide for their family now or their family later. So he has programs like carpentry and uh, plumbing. Plumbing, yeah. All the, all the trades and there, of course there's like gardening and farming and everything like that but how it connects to the shack, snack shack is uh, I don't know I guess just whoever's been there long 
think it's three of the graduates because it's okay. Christian, um, Kevin, and Howell. And they were in the program when we were there last year, right. and they were still there, thankfully, this year because they're all really cool. Um, and they just they run the Snack Shack, and whatever they make at past profit, they get to keep. Like, he said basically he treated it like a micro loan. Yeah. He gave them the money they needed to buy their initial supplies. They developed the the menu. They take care of the purchasing, the billing, the whole nine. And they've repaid all their debts. And now these guys have started a successful business. Yeah. Uh, so and it's really good food too. So. Yeah, that was the highlight of the night. <laughs> after, after supper and after evening depot, they had this little sack shock where you could buy smoothies and all the fruit there mm-hmm. in Honduras. <laughs> good grease. So that good. was good. Yeah. The mangoes. The mangoes are the best. Yes. That is where I felt most selfish was uh, I wish <laughs> all these people would go to bed because the line was so long every night. There were, what was the lady's name um, who volunteered in the kitchen every morning? Probably Magali. Magali. Yeah. 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 Uh, Love her. She uh, uh, she would always hand out the fruit and it was one or two, one or two. So every time I saw her, she'd say one or two. I said, 10, 10. <laughs> she was super sweet. It was super sweet. You mentioned about, um, you know, for the guys in Honduras, but we went to Mi Esperanza, which is a um, basically similar to the R1T1 um, in that they started out as micro loans to women to help them kind of get their businesses off the ground um, and has transformed in the, I think, 20 years now um, that they've been doing it into a school of sorts. So they have people coming in and teaching them. Um, I think I walked around. And they had different like computer and um, English and things like that. But then they also had textile work and you could buy some of the pottery or jewelry, um, things of that nature that you could buy there that they had made. And it had who made it and you could read about their story online. Um, and it's actually really interesting to me that she was a the founder was a torch person. So she came in, I think, 1998. Um, I think that was she came in 1998 and said we've got to do something and she did something and made this program and like i said now it's kind of grown into what we see it as today where you can buy stuff online and you can go and see the people that you're helping but they just put a um a daycare in there and they said that one of the biggest problems they have is daycare issues so they can't it's hard for women to get to work because they don't have childcare, and so they made it free to all of their students and all of their employees they have a daycare there now and so I just thought that was really interesting that they're constantly figuring out ways to help the Honduran people. You know, that saying of you give a guy a fish, he'll eat for a day, but you teach him how to fish and he'll fish for his, he'll eat for a lifetime. And that is truly what they're doing here by building the houses, R1T1, Mia Speranza. They are truly teaching them how to fish to help support their families. It's really cool. And the lady who runs it, her, her talk about how generally women bear the brunt of poverty, of poverty. Um, and the best way to improve the world is to improve the, the plight of women, I thought was something we needed to hear, mm-hmm. uh, especially I'm looking at me, Tyler, and Marshall, and, and Bryson. You know, we're guys. Hannah, you talked about privilege. There's an extra level of privilege that, that we have enjoyed, and that's not always something that's politically correct in our conservative circles to talk about. It's just the truth. Um, Definitely. There were so many things about that, that you know, Doing something like this is going to mess with your head. It's going to mess with your heart. It's going to mess with your politics. It, it's funny, you know, you go to Honduras, you see what a fully corrupt government looks like in a lot of ways. You see what a place looks like with no zoning laws. Uh, no OSHA. 
no environmental regulations. Uh, every night you went to bed to the smell of burning plastic because yeah. nobody took the trash anywhere. You just burned it. And, you know, we called it our cancer incense because, and I'm not criticizing the people. Not, not at all. That's just, well, I know. We yeah. pay 27 bucks a month. Somebody picks up our trash. They make it go away. We don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But when you make $2 a day, that ain't happening. I did say that to Bryce, and I think, like, can't you just smell the cancer when we were burning all that treated lumber that my dad told me never to burn? Yeah. Like, this is not okay to do, but, you know. Well, even that little bit. Okay, so I loved how um, how optimized they had gotten the house build process. You build a stinking house. By the time you're done, you have basically a backpack's worth of scraps. I mean, there was almost no scrap lumber. But every family wanted every piece of scrap wood. And this is pressure-treated lumber. And they wanted it so that they'd have it to cook over. Yeah. Like, hello. Like, do you get mad at me when I throw a napkin in a campfire when you're having s'mores? <laughs> uh, there was one woman that asked us to save every piece of lumber so that she could make a table out of it for her family to eat around. Because that was very important to her. To have something to pray over and to eat around with her family. And also a really sad story. Talking about construction scrap made me think of it, but... Um, one of the home builds, it wasn't the one I did, but one of the groups, they thought they were throwing construction scrap into a trash pile. And it turned out that, that that was all the woman's belongings. That's all she had. And it looked like trash to us. And she started pulling the construction debris away from her belongings to take it in the house. And they all, it all hit them like, oh, yeah. Another piece that stood out to me was when we went to the um, the, the Jesus statue, which uh, we told the story this morning. It's a statue that was built after one of the hurricanes came through and almost 10,000 people died in a mudslide that just wiped off a hill. But before they told that story, um, I stood up there and you could see the city lights and you notice there's these dark sections. Um, and, you know, in the States, if you see that view, well, that's where the parks are, mm-hmm. right? Um, or somebody who has a lot of land. But the first big dark section off to our right was where 10,000 people died. And then when Tim gives the talk, he says, the dark sections are the people who are too poor even for electricity. The dark sections are where you work today. Somebody said this story a lot better than me this morning. But he said the dark sections were where you look. You were the light this week. In that image of the pictures we took, that's probably my favorite picture because you can see that these are the forgotten people in the forgotten city, in the forgotten country. Um, and we're fortunate. We're super fortunate. Yeah, I um, I did the clinic day. I think I was the only one of our group um, that ended up going to the clinic on that Wednesday. Um, and it was also eye-opening. Um, I think they had shut down the school. So first of all, we went like an hour and a half away by bus. I didn't think the bus was going to make it half the time. Um, because it was up a steep mountain and they had shut down school for us to be able to have this. Um, and I was working in registration, getting the um, people registered. And it's always such a difficult thing because they want to tell you everything that's wrong with them right then and there. And I just have to tell them like, hey, you're going to see a doctor, you know, but this time I was able to kind of get some of their chief complaints. Um, and one of the questions was about parasites. And I was like, what kind of question is this? And I asked Christian, um, because he was helping another register registration person, and I said, "What is it like? What is this for? Is this COVID? Like, I don't understand." And he was like, "No, it's it's parasites." And I was like, 
okay, whatever that means. And then come to find out that it it's worms. Like they had worms and stuff. And it was something that was very prevalent within that community. And like, that's just something we don't think about. But literally I was like, oh, you're asking about like parasites, like worms and things like that. And so they gave them medicine. And so a lot of people, they didn't necessarily want to come and see the doctor. They just needed the vitamins for their kids and then the parasite medicine so that they could take it. Um, but I mean, we were up on a hill, like buses can't make it normal buses, you know, that carry people to and from can't make it that way. So it's either they walk miles to get to the clinic to get that help or they don't. Um, and they live with it and, you know, they were fine. They were, they, they acted as if this was their normal when it was. And it just was really eye opening because that's not the case for us. Once again, going back to that privilege and spoiled mindset, like not having to worry about that stuff. So one Sunday we worshiped with the Los Pinos Church of Christ and it was the, the church in the pines or something like that. And I, I may have the story wrong. You talked about how from that, that mountaintop, you could see another mountaintop and the people on this mountaintop at Los Pinos felt like the people on the other mountain needed to have a church. So they would meet, they would worship and they would walk to the other mountain. So down and up six miles, they'd go and worship and they'd walk down and up to come back home another six. They'd, they walked 12 to 13 miles, not just to worship, but so they could help somebody else worship. Um, preacher hat on for a second. If it's rainy, our attendance <laughs> drops 20%. That's what I was about to say. You know? <laughs> and like, you hear that story and like your soul just sort of wants to scream. Like, you know, I, I don't even have words for it. People, a little girl asked me for a Bible and I'm like, that was, I mean, of course, we all know that not the whole world doesn't have access to a Bible, but to literally hand that to someone, this is a gift to them. And we've got it on our phone, on our Bible app, you know, and we hardly check it or look at it or, you know, reference it. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's humbling for sure. And at risk for being, I don't know, controversial, like I know that we, <laughs> I'm sorry if this gets you bad ratings, but like in America, I just remember, you know, being in high school and stuff. It was almost like an us versus them mentality, but it wasn't, you know, us versus those who don't believe. It was like us versus this denomination and that denomination. And if they weren't in our denomination, then they weren't good. And then they were in lost as well, just like somebody who had never seen the seen a Bible. And I think then going down to places like Honduras, it's like, no, these people are like the definition of lost. Like they haven't seen a Bible, you know, those are the ones that I feel like at least I'm called to reach and to try to reach to. Um, and that's that exact instance where she may have never seen a Bible before, but then you gave her one and um, she was able to use it. And, and I was so mad at myself because I told Matthew, actually, I blew it. I was so excited, like be handing this person a Bible and then like, hey, here you go. Yes, absolutely. You can have a Bible. And I'm like, like, why didn't I sit down and study with her? Like, I blew it. But you know what? I'll be better next. So, Marshall, it's a shame that was her one chance. I just fall, then. They'll never know. Well, I hope you can sleep at night. Tonight. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little less good now, man. <laughs> I'm sure glad that God doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure glad God seeks those who want him. And you saw a lot of that on the trip, too. I do think that a lot of what this trip is about, though, is recognizing I can do more. Like, before this mission trip, somebody in the States may have asked you, hey, can I buy a Bible? And you'd be like, yeah, sure, here it is. It never had a second thought about it. But this trip just 
it makes you think like, what else can I do? Like you get excited to serve somebody. Like it's not a job anymore. It's not like, well, I'm called to do this, so I better do it. It's like, what next? What more can I do? How much more can I give? And you just, you want to pour your whole soul into somebody. And that's what I love about this mission work is it makes you think like, yes, I did this, but next time I'm going to do this and I'm going to follow it up with this. And then, you know, after that, you're going to be like, well, next time I'm going to give her the Bible and then I'm going to study it with her and then I'm going to give her the name of a local church. Like you just, you're always searching for ways to help because, you know, you're filling their cup, but your cup is getting so full at the same time. Bingo. I think one of the good things mission work does for you is it helps you do mission work when you're back home. It's way, people don't get this. It is way easier to do mission work on a mission trip than it is to live like a Christian at home. So you spend 12 days doing it in Honduras. When you come back home, it's a little bit easier to actually do the stuff you were supposed to do yeah. before you left. I'm going to brag on Bethany a little bit for a second because uh, it hurts me a little bit, but we're going to get through it. Um, so, <laughs> so we got back from Honduras last year. And of course, like after your first mission trip, you're just on cloud nine. Um, we came home and, you know, we're ready. We're ready. But we're like, OK, now what? Like now who do we serve? And we just get a call from Bethany one day and she's like, hey, do y'all want to go deliver ice water and snacks to people around Dixon? And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, I mean, yeah, I guess. But like, do they need it? Like, can do they not already have it? Like, is that a need? And so we're driving around and, you know, random people, people that might not necessarily like need the help. We're so thankful and so appreciative. And we got into areas of Dixon that I didn't even know existed. Like, I'm sorry, um, Monica and mom. Yeah. Um, taking them quit listening for just a second. <laughs> we went to this like RV park. The old tail. <laughs> never knew this was there because I've never needed to know it was there. I've always gone right past that road and gone to Colton's to eat or Cracker Barrel or wherever we're going. Not Cracker Barrel. I hate Cracker Barrel, but... <laughs> And that's a whole nother discussion. Um, And we get back there and there's all these people walking around in tank tops, just sweating and trying to find like some kind of shade to sit in. And I mean, you know, we're a little nervous, like we're getting our stuff and we're like, okay, just kind of stay together. And never once did I feel unsafe while we were there. We'd have people walking with us. We'd be like, hey, do you want a water? And it was the same mentality as the people in Honduras had. They would take one bag of chips and one water and nothing else. They wouldn't ask for more. They wouldn't pretend like they were taking it back to somebody in their house. They took exactly what they needed so that their neighbor had what they needed as well. And it was just like, it was that like reaffirmation of why do we have so much and still take so much when there are those who have nothing and take so little to fill their cup? Like, that one bag of chips and water, I mean, you would have thought we just gave them two months worth of rent on their place, but we didn't. And it was just like, okay, another like eye-opening experience. What I love about that story is it is literally what Jesus said. You know, you give someone a cup of cold water, you'll by no means like, oh, that doesn't matter. That's not important. It does when you're the guy who needs a cup of cold water. And Well, and I think Tyler like has a good mentality of like we have some friends that they they like to talk and just think things through and he's like I just want to do like in the time that we've sat here and talked we could have done things 
And so, honestly, I forgot all about that story. (laughs) Um, But it's just one of those things that, like, mission trips, like you said, they don't have to, you could just go do and do that within your community as well. And I think it is very eye-opening, you know, when you're talking about giving a Bible to somebody and now you know for, even if it's a week from now, or maybe it is next year on the next mission trip, but, like, just being aware of those situations and that wouldn't have come about if it hadn't been for the trip. Let's wrap up by doing uh, just a couple more things. One, I'd like to just go around the table and one thing that you enjoyed, liked, learned, just a, just kind of a quick thing. Uh, one thing that, that meant a lot to you uh, on the trip for, or that you'll kind of take with you. If, um, and I'll, I'll start to buy you time to think about yours because I see the dirty looks you're all giving me. And then we'll go to Marshall. That way Bryson gets to go last and he might not kill me in my sleep when we go back. Um, but to me, I just, I love um, the camaraderie. Um, like like you just said, we, at church, we talk a lot. We don't often do a lot. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing, a lot of things just fall into place. Hey, hand me a hammer. I didn't ask what your favorite Bible translation is, or if you like clapping in church or you don't, or if the, you know, what's your view on the end time? Hand me a hammer. And I've always, that's maybe my favorite thing about mission work is I feel like our religion gets down to brass tacks, what it's supposed to be about. And I don't know about you, I get tired of all of the, I'm trying to find any other term besides BS, but we're just going to go with BS that get (laughs) draped on top of religion. You know, all of the arguments and politics and committees and plans and this person wants to, this is, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. And getting to do that is a major recharge to my soul. So that was that was for me. What you, Marshall? I um, I really liked the chance to do like be involved and actually know that what you're doing you're doing good here in the states. I you know I pray God make me more like you. Give me chances to help people. And it, those are few and far between. And I hope God will send me more chances now that my heart is open to that. But I love that I can go there and I can make a difference. And it's easy to make a difference. Um, I love the chance to impact a ton of people in a small amount of time. Um, I love that. And I loved just being a light to kids. Um, that was probably my favorite thing um, is... You know, just for a whole second, maybe, maybe that nine-year-old that I gave a toy to, maybe um, five years down the road, he remembers that and he decides to be a Christian, maybe, you know? Um, so I, I loved being able to help kids and brighten kids' days because they're our future. You introduced a kid to a Frisbee who'd never seen a Frisbee before. And the 98-cent Frisbee you gave to a kid was like if you had given me a thousand dollars absolutely yeah i'm not gonna cry but i did it this morning i'm not gonna cry that's why i didn't bring it up thanks matthew <laughs> well uh, hey you uh, broke me i can break you with a frisbee too yeah so um yeah he he had never even seen one he didn't even know what it was um a frisbee so um yeah uh, a few things that I thought were cool were seeing Bethany come on the trip that uh, I went on. Sorry, I mean you're so great. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Get, 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 get it out, please. 
Um, just to hear translate for the families um, and just, I don't know, I, that really got to me for some reason, um, translating for like how like grateful they were and seeing her be able to do that and uh, her being so nervous through it was uh, was cool for me. Um, and just uh, experiencing all the relationships that we made on this trip with like Landon, who never, who didn't have anyone he went with, his preacher and uh, being into our group so fast and having such a good, strong relationship with Bryson made me uh, like feel like how I was when I was a little younger, like meeting friends like that, like so quick. I've only met him once and I still can like, if I were to see him outside of like the trip again, it'll last a lifetime. It's yeah, one trip, crazy. Um, and then I was inspired my, by my own Devo, um, as I often am. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> that, uh, no one else's throughout the week, but mine really struck me. <laughs> that it uh, for God's path, uh, because I was talking to somebody else. Um, like I love looking back on how God does great things with me, but uh, I never like really look for them. So I feel like this week I was just trying to like look for things so much harder than like I never look here. I always like to look back but I never like look forward or look what I can do. And I want to try to make that a point, you know, bragging on myself a little bit, but <laughs> just a realization I can't do talking to other people that made me realize it. And, you know, the things that you learn while you're on these trips are just yeah. incredibly important. Yeah. Just talking to people that were here, like always with me, but that conversation never got brought up because now we're in a different situation together. So it's cool. Yeah, I think my mentality changed a lot. Um, and, you know, again, being on these trips, it had been three years since I'd gone on one because of COVID and then having a baby. Um, I wasn't able to come last year. And so three years out, I don't know what it was. I don't know what my preconceived notions were, but I just remember feeling, I don't know the right word, not negative, I mean, maybe negative. I don't know. Um, I felt negative in that I was like, I and this is going to sound bad, it's not necessarily mean it, but like I'm better than them situation where I'm like, oh, I have all of this stuff and you don't have anything, so I'm coming to help you. And I, like that completely changed, of course. Um, And I think this mentality of just, they're not, I mean, they don't have as much as we do, but that doesn't mean that their lives are worse, I guess would be the right way to say it. Like their lives seem full and, they have family and those things that really matter, like they don't take for granted. Like you said, with the the Frisbee or the airheads, like they, they take each of those little blessings and they hold on to them. And for me, like it's something that I need to work on is get over all of the getting all the money. Right. Like that doesn't really mean as much. Um, and so saying, OK, how can I do more with less or how can I be appreciative and grateful for what I have, even if it's those small things. Um, In my classes, I go back and forth between teaching about places like Honduras and Nicaragua and Panama because I want these kids to see, hey, your life is great. Like what you have here, it may not seem like you have the actual AirPods or whatever, or you don't have the coolest shoes or the name brand shirt, but you have a shirt and you have these things. And riding that line of of that mentality, but then also like giving them the complex of, oh, America's the best. You know, we are, we are superior. And that's kind of where I was. Like, and even though I, I preach it to my kids, don't be that way. 
I was really riding that fine line. And this trip just kind of reiterated and, and took me down a peg and was like, okay, like I am blessed. I am spoiled. I am privileged, whatever word you want to use there. But that doesn't make me any better than anybody else. And so that's something that I will take. It just renews my urgency to express that to my kids in my classroom going forward. Um, If I was going to give this trip like a group lesson, like something that I think we all learned, it would be love doesn't have a barrier. And that's been talked about so much since we've been back from this trip. And whether like the barrier is language or culture or whatever it may be, every single person on our trip was able to communicate and receive love with zero words. I mean, Bryson said it a million times, you're walking down the street and you have a child look up and smile at you and you know everything you need to know. Like you didn't have to speak a word. You didn't even have to touch them or communicate with them in any form. And you know, like you you just see their heart through their actions. And it can be something like a smile or um, at the orphanage. Gosh, I think this broke Matthew and I more than we probably expected it to. But um, there were these little girls, um, especially Ruth. Ruth was, if I could have adopted her, my parents would be one more grandchild richer. Um, she, she didn't know me. We walked in, we served chicken, and I sat down, and I talk Spanish at probably, like, a pre-K level, like, or less. (laughs) Um, I know enough to say the bare minimum. So I said what I could to her and communicated what I could. She got done with her food and put her hand down at me, and that was all I needed. It was the, come on, you're my person for today. And, I mean, the love in my heart for her is just, like, insane, and it was just such a big lesson of like, you know, we don't we don't know how big of an impact we're having on somebody until it's been made on them. You know, I assumed I was probably annoying them or they were probably like, OK, who's this girl that thinks she knows Spanish trying to talk to us over here? And in no way is that what they took from that conversation. They saw somebody who wanted to learn, who wanted to know more. And they reciprocated that, you know. It was just, it was such an awesome feeling to see, like, I don't, I don't have to have it all right to be able to do right. You know, if you haven't done it, um, being in a place where you don't speak the language, I think is an experience everyone should have because it will change how you treat people. I call it humbling. (laughs) Extremely humbling. It is frustrating and you feel stupid a lot, or at least I did. Um, and do I got a 13 day streak on Duolingo? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it going. <laughs> well, it's your streak now. I think I'm at like 270 days. I was gonna say I think you know I I was there for like the KFC adventures and things like that. And someone asked me, or I don't know how it came about, but I was like, I don't want to be up there translating for you because it's good for you to struggle. Like it is so helpful for you to see what it feels like to not know the language and try to order something and then see what you get. My combination was $30. <laughs> and um, we love Bethany. We loved doing this trip with her. But some of our favorite experiences is when we didn't have her to bail us out. Like when we had to figure out how to communicate to the lady running the poperia, And when we had kids asking us for stuff and we had to sit there and figure it out because we weren't going to leave without knowing what they wanted and they weren't going anywhere either. It was just, 
it was like at the end of it, when you finally get it, when it finally clicks, everybody is like on cloud nine, you're rejoicing and you're screaming and you're clapping like you just want a Super Bowl or something. And all you did was figure out, can I have a Coke? Will you buy me a Coke? But <laughs> that's why I like being a Spanish teacher. <laughs> that one moment of like, I worked for this. This was important to both of us. And we came to the conclusion together was like mind blowing. So I walked over to that, that little pizza hut to try to bottle, buy a bottle of Pepsi because mm-hmm. that's what they had. And, you know, I didn't have Bethany nearby. So, <laughs> like, it takes us a while. And he didn't understand for a long time that I wasn't trying to order a meal. I just wanted the one drink because, you know, not having something cold. That, mm-hmm. I mean, we take cold meats for granted every mm-hmm. time. Uh, and I started trying to, you know, you know, like I point to it. I point to somebody <laughs> else's. And I'm like, God. How much? Like, I, oh, start waving money. <laughs> and eventually, you can tell that he's he thinks I'm an idiot. <laughs> and he just starts laughing. He goes, gratis, gratis. And he gave me the drink, I think, because he decided it was easier. It didn't mean paying for it. <laughs> so either that or I shoplifted from the pizza and the one, one or the other. He's going to have wanted posters, like, yeah. next time we go. <laughs> Not allowed in the country. We'll dress you up as a clown. <laughs> And you missed that this morning, evidently. Um, clowns, drug dealers dress as clowns sometimes to make them harder to identify, identify or yeah. describe to the police, which was amazing because Frank Bradford brought his clown costume. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if only, Susan, we were so close. We tried. We tried to get him off the bus at the gas station, but he wouldn't budge. Yeah. All right, Bryson. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Um so probably it's so hard to pinpoint something after 11 days in a foreign country but um one of the one of the coolest things for me coming from a person that has played sports my entire life I have never had a moment in sports that will ever compare to playing soccer with a bunch of Hondurians <laughs> um year olds yeah it's it's equally the most humbling and most exciting experience I've ever had. I I mean, you've never seen a group of kids that love to just make gringos look silly <laughs> on a soccer pitch, but that is it's the easiest way to uh to have some camaraderie while in a foreign country and can't speak their language, kinda like what Hannah said, but I I will never play soccer in the states because it doesn't give me that type of cup feeling. But I mean, that's probably one of the most influential parts of my trip was being able to like minister to them. Yeah, soccer. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know half the rules, and I couldn't tell when I was doing something wrong. Soccer, you don't use your hands. That's why you were the goalie. So yeah, they they yelled at me uh, mono. A lot because I would slap the ball in my hands. And I can't do that. Um, but yeah, it was it was the easiest way to become friends with someone you don't know their language. And it's just yeah, I've never never had a sports experience like that. What would the world look like if we played more? You know, oh, yeah. I mean, talk about bringing down barriers instantly. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anything except a key, a key. You know, you know, you could hear. I assumed that meant pass it, but evidently it was here. How was so close? Well, I think too, like just going on to that, like you know, at the very beginning of the week, that was one of the first things we did was we put together the wall as we started making the soccer pitch, 
And Dalton was like, this is going to help us be able to minister to people. Like we'll have a league of some sorts, you know, where we'll play on Tuesdays or Thursdays and then they'll do a Devo. And I don't know a better way to live out, you know, the church's kind of theme for this year of grow and us planting the seeds of making the wall to help keep the soccer ball in the pitch and building the house for decades to come for that family to live in there like those are planting the seeds and we don't see the direct effects of that and I think that's hard sometimes because we are so used to instant gratification which is another piece of you know that privilege that we have like the text message that comes immediately the tv that turns on when we want it to and or whatever the hot water that comes immediately we don't have to wait three minutes and then it's scalding and then fix it again and you know we don't have to worry about that and so Oh, or watering his works. Right. And so I think like, again, that's that aspect of we're planting the seed and then they're watering what we've done. So they're, you know, going to have those devos on those weeknights and they're going to see the people from the church, those church people or the, the house people will see us and they know that it was in the name of God and it was in um, the name of the Church of Christ. And so they know that if they're ever looking for a place to go, they're going to be welcome in one of those churches. Because he said that they always build the houses and then, you know, sometimes a few years later, they'll build a church there. So they're always planning on building a church within walking distance of those houses. And so that's something that, again, even though it may be decades from now or a decade or whatever, they're going to have the seed watered and then God will give that increase. Um, and one thing, I mean, this may cause a little bit of disagreement, but we talked about the Jesus statue that was built for, what, $10 million on a hill. And she said that she wanted it there as like a seat of hope so that when people looked up, they saw the hands and feet of Jesus. But in my opinion, truthfully, I feel like the houses and the soccer walls and the visits to the church, I feel like those are the seeds that are being planted for hope and that will grow eventually to create more Christians and to create churches and community than that Jesus statue can ever be because the hands and feet of Jesus to me are us, the people that can go and do and make a difference. And that was just something that, you know, we were up there and I was like, yeah, this is pretty, this is cool. But I felt like we were making that difference on the ground with those people as opposed to up in the air above them. So I think, you know, when Jesus was here, he was eye to eye with these people. He was on the ground level with them. He rode in on the donkey with them, you know. Um, I felt like being down there in the poverty areas was the hands and feet of Jesus making the differences there. I agree. Yeah, the, the statue is beautiful. And the story we told it this morning at church. But when that hurricane came through, the first lady said, we need to do something to give people hope. And they spent $10 million to build a statue, which turned into a park. And it's beautiful and it's cool. But I'm with you, the houses, the clean drinking water. You know, Marshall, tell that, tell the story about the, the water for that community. Yeah. So um, I'm really excited about this. So one of the communities that we went to, it was the hill was, we were there to deliver food. The hill was so steep, we all had to climb off the bus. And the 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 bus driver almost burned the clutch up trying to get us up the hill, and then decided, okay, we can't we can't get up the hill with all these people. It was so steep that we all got off the bus, and then the bus made it up there. So it turns out we then we delivered food out, and it turns out 
that community had zero water, zero electricity. And so those people have to literally walk down that hill. And I don't know how far else down that hill. I mean, it could be way down there. I have no idea where they're getting the water. They literally have to walk all the way down the hill to the base of wherever and truck back up their water for the day. Um, so us and a, a church from Kentucky, I was talking to a guy from Kentucky. We just happened to be standing right beside each other. And he's like, you know, we can do something about this. I'm like, yeah. So we went and um, talked to Tim Hines, who's the group leader. And um, he's like, well, I don't know. He's like, you know, he's like, well, you know, we got to get this. We got to get the pump. We got to get the pipe. And, you know, this is going to cost this. And he's trying to like put it all in his head together. And uh, he's like, yeah. I mean, I was expecting like this exorbitant amount to get them water up the hill. But he's, you know, he's talking about we we won't do a well. We'll just do a pump and some pipes and we'll get it up there. And it's going to cost like $25 a month to run electricity for it, whatever. He's like, so I'm like expecting this huge amount. Like, well, gosh, well, can we do this? Can we not do this? He's like, it's probably going to be about $4,500. I'm like, what? What? That's it? He's like, well, I like your attitude. I'm like, man, we got two churches here. We can raise that in a, in a Sunday. Like, no big deal. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, he's like, okay, well, um, I'll go get some prices. And he's like, and I'll give you receipts. Like, I promise, like, we're, we'll get prices and I'll send y'all receipts. I'm like, Tim, I'm not worried about the dang receipts, man. Like, let's just get them some water. But really, I'm like, I'm super excited about that. Like, we have been there. We have stood there. We know exactly where it's going to go. We don't have to worry about, are we giving money? Is it going to help? We know we can get these people water. Like, how big of an impact? We can give a whole community water for, you know, all of us throw in 20 bucks. We got it, you know? So, and yeah. Talk about a game changer, a leg up. This means that mom is not spending four hours a day trying to do laundry. This means that kids, you know, we couldn't drink the water because we're not used to the stuff they have, but they can drink the city water mostly. Yeah, and he said that would even be filters in that. So, you know, you're changing health, you're changing education, you're changing career, you're changing fire safety. I mean, you are, you're changing the world for four grand. Yeah. Well, what was I going to do? Yeah. I think it's cool that he talks about like church contribution because, um, Tim talked about like we went and visited the church up on the mountain and uh, he said, you know, give what your heart is telling you to give. But just know when you leave here, you're going to increase their contribution by 10, what, 10 times what it normally was. And we ended up getting the number back before we left. And it was exactly 10 times the amount that they normally raise. And the preacher was like in awe. He's like, this is going to change so much for us. We can do so much with this money. Like this this was just huge and to us it was like what you know we gave 500 lamps which is 20 american dollars and that was 10 times what the average honduran could give at the church crazy i think too like at risk of being cliche you know we talk about changing the world you know we didn't go to all of these countries but we changed the world for that one neighborhood and i think if we wait to try to change the world until we can do it all at once, like you're never going to get there. And even if we did it little by little, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. And I think, you know, making the world change for that one village is just the first step. And, you know, next year, finding those those avenues and ways that we can contribute and donate and do whatever we can to change the world of even one person is going to be more than us trying to save the whole world. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
Well, I hope um I hope listeners did this episode hadn't been too weird. I hope it didn't sound like we we're breaking our arms, patting ourselves on the back, or anything like that. I hope I hope you heard it for what we intended it to be. Just this was a really good experience, and I, speaking for myself, I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I enjoyed a lot. I got some reminders that I needed. Um, and one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast was also to kind of extend to you uh, an invitation that this might be something that uh, would be really good for um, a you to do. This this might be a good step. In, maybe your walk with God has gotten a little stagnant or you've gotten a little too comfortable. Uh, maybe you feel like you haven't left your comfort zone since the Reagan administration and it's time just to find out what it's like to be the dumb gringo or... You just need a reset. Uh, so Tyler Bethany talked to us a little bit about uh, what it might look like, uh, you know, th- just the the nuts of it. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the handout we have uh, into the torch video so you can see a little bit more. But just talk to us a little bit about what, what next steps are if you're interested. Yeah, I'll go. I haven't spoken in a while, I feel like. Um, you can, what? Make Bryson do it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you get uh, anyone from what, 12 to 90. Uh, we had a 77 year old that was uh, that with us on this trip. But uh, anyone, any age, pretty much, if you're under 16, you have to have a parent with you, um, is the rules. But anyone in that age range, um, just ask me at church, Tyler Quint, uh, ask Matthew, anyone who really went on the trip, and uh, we can get you information about Torch, Torch missions that go on their website. That's how I found them. I just did a Google search for how I can get involved with mission work and found Torch. Uh, Tim Hines is our group leader. Uh, if you want to come with us, um, if you don't want to go with us, you can go find someone else. Um, but but uh, we'll you know, come talk to us. We'll get you signed up. We're looking at going next year, um, maybe a little later, maybe in July. Um, I don't know. Still got to talk talk about all that, but going next summer again, of course. Um, if we can get a nice group of thirty ish together, we can maybe get our own date, depending on how many other people are um, joining. But Bethany did. You said you're gonna do a link to the I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, and that that um, handout has a lot of frequently asked questions. So again, how much does it cost, and who should go, and things that you should know before going. Um, and then at the bottom, there's a QR code. I think Matthew said he put the link to the form as well. But that form just tells us your name, your email, and reminds you to go ahead and get started on your passport. Uh, make sure that it doesn't expire within like six months of the travel date. Um, but then Marsha, Tim's wife, said that it would be about September, October that we would get dates for the next year. Um, and so once we find that out, information out, we'll be um, sending out emails from the list from the forms that you fill out. So if you're interested at all, it doesn't mean that you're going to go for sure, but you're just interested in knowing more. Um, definitely uh, fill out that form, put your email on there so that we've got you on our list. And don't let the cost like be the mm-hmm. prohibiting factor. Like there's always somebody to step up in our church if somebody needs help. So don't feel like if you can't afford to go that don't let that be the reason. I think that's one of the first times where it's like, if you want to go, put your name down. God will make it happen, and we'll trust God that he's going to get you there. Anything else you guys want to share? Well, friends, this has been fun. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for uh, taking the time to listen uh, to these random stories of hundred street clowns and uh, janky school bus rides of death and dismemberment and uh, our secret prayers that Marshall would get trafficked. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
Uh-huh. Uh, sorry. It was, it was a good death. We, we thought you were cute. So, uh, you know, we'd give the crew the new one for me. Wow. Uh, it was a great experience, and I'm, I'm grateful that you guys got to, to, that we got to do this together. Thanks for listening today, and I hope that you will uh, maybe share this with a friend who just needs a little nudge, a little reminder about all the many, many different ways God works in our stories. Until next time, see you then. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.